those trumpets are determined to make me like them more than the violins. And today I did like them a lot more than the violins. There were no violins here today. <laughs> that was great. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forever. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. Today we're going to finish this first paragraph of chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and, and finish up these bold affirmations that the Apostle Paul is making about uh, our life when we are justified by faith in Christ alone. When Christ has done his work in our life, these are the things that Paul says about our lives in Christ. He, he starts out in the first part of that, if you remember from several weeks ago, he started out in verse 1 by saying the first bold affirmation is, that gives us security as a believer, is that we have peace with God. That's a tremendous statement. And he's going to deal more with that in the passage this morning that we're going to look at. But, but when you realize what the condition was of us outside of Christ, for Paul to say we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, that is a bold affirmation and a tremendous affirmation that we stand in, in, a, in a state of peaceful existence with a God who is the creator of all things, who is the God who is the ruler of all the universe, who is the God who says that, that sin must be paid for and sin must be dealt with, but in Christ we stand at peace with God. That's a bold affirmation. That is the immediate effect of our relationship with Christ. Then secondly, he said in verse uh, 2, he, he talks about not only immediate effect, but the continuing effect. He said, we have peace with God, and through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. That is the continuing effect of our justification. We continue to stand in the grace of God. And we need that grace just as much today as we did the day we came to faith in Christ. We need that grace just as much today for continuing in the Christian life as we did for entering the Christian life. Too often we picture grace as something that happens when we are saved, when we are made right with God, at peace with God. But Paul says, I want you to understand, grace is something that we stand in every single day if we are justified in Christ. And that's important. So you have the immediate results. You have the continuing effect. You have, you have the ultimate effect in, in, in verse Verse 3, when he says this, excuse me, at the end of verse 2, when he says, and not only that, we rejoice in, in hope of the glory of God. There's that ultimate effect that if we are justified, and this is what brings security in the life of the believer, that if we are justified in Christ, there is that ultimate effect that we will one day see the glory of God face to face. We will see his glory in ways that we've never seen it. Now, we experience his glory a bit in a, in a sort of a looking through a mirror darkly, as Paul says in, in, to the Corinthians, even in this life. You know, I don't know about you, but when I was singing those songs earlier, every one of those just kind of pointed to the glory of God and his great gift in our life. And, and so I sat there and I sang those, and I kind of experienced the touch of the glory of God even right now. But there's so much more to come in seeing his glory, in being in his presence when we are in our glorified state. So, so Paul says, I want you to understand, we, we rejoice, we have peace with God, we rejoice 
that we stand in grace, we rejoice in the glory of God. And fourth, and the one that we really don't like to think about often we talked about, is we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings. That's the fourth thing, because we realize that suffering is the only way to glory. It was for Christ. He suffered on the cross. He suffered beatings. We sang about those this morning through his scourgings. We heard the, the prophet Isaiah prophesy that Christ was going to come and be rejected. Those who were his own did not esteem him. They did not look favorably on him. They did not, they did not long after him, but rather he was, he was rejected by those. And Isaiah said, that's what, was, that's what is coming when the Messiah comes, when Christ comes. And so Isaiah prophesied the very thing that Paul is talking about in this passage. And he says, Jesus received glory through his suffering. And why we would think as believers that we could find glory any other way is, is beyond me. Uh, how we think that we could just experience the glory of God in, in kind of a, a glitty happiness is, is beyond me. You know, it, it, it comes through suffering. And then Paul says, and for those who are in Christ, those who are in Christ, we know that that, that suffering builds endurance, patience, perseverance, and, and it builds hope. And that hope does not let us down. It does not disappoint us. So we see that everything that, that Paul is talking about in rejoicing and suffering is based upon the fact of Christ's suffering in our place. Paul said, I want you to see that. So those are the four things we've looked at, these four affirmations that we've looked at up to this point. Now we come to the passage where we see the fifth and the sixth one. And we'll look at those this morning together. But I want you to hear the word of the Lord from Romans chapter 5, Verses 6 through 11. Paul says, For while we were still weak, or helpless, or anemic, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows us his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. And more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. Do you hear some repeated thoughts there that the apostle is throwing out? I mean, all through that passage, you hear the word rejoice. Rejoice in your sufferings, rejoice in God, rejoice in, in what's going on in our life on a daily basis, rejoice in what is yet to come. I mean, all through this, the apostle Paul is saying, we who are in Christ will learn what it means to rejoice. To the Philippian Christians, he said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It's almost like he said, listen, I want you to hear this. The essence of the Christian life is joy. Not, not glib happiness. Not some of glib happiness. It just kind of artificially walks around with a grin on its face all the time and saying, well, I'll just grin and bear it, you know, kind of thing. That's not it. 
But in Christ, there is real joy. There's a real inner peace. Joy comes from knowing that no matter what the circumstances are, no matter how difficult those circumstances are, no matter how horrendous we find ourselves in the middle of things, that in the middle of that, we know that God is in charge, God is in control, and our God reigns. And if we know that, even in the midst of suffering, we can have joy. Paul says it's so vital, so important, that we grasp that as a believer. And if a believer's, a professing believer is walking around with no joy in their life, even though things aren't like they want them to be, Paul says there ought to be questions being asked. There ought to be examination taking place because this is what justification by faith through grace, uh, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone will bring to the believer even in the midst of whatever they're going through. Paul says that is so important that we understand that. Paul is making clear in these passages that the, the costliness of this gift is quite great. He makes it very clear. This was not a cheap grace. This was not just a, a, a carte blanche saying, well, your sin really doesn't matter. It, it's okay. I just gonna, I'm just going to kind of forgive it and, and let it go at that. You know, don't, don't worry about it. No, Paul says, I want you to understand, this, this justification, this being made right with God, is a costly matter. It, it cost him his son's death horrendously on the cross. I mean, and throughout this, Paul says he died. Christ died. At just the right time, Christ died. And, and he was scarcely died for a righteous person, but, but, but Christ died. I mean, the point he's making here is understand that Jesus came with a specific purpose in mind. It was not thwarted by the, by the Roman soldiers and, and the Roman government. It was not thwarted by the religious leaders who wanted him done away with. His purpose stood. And his purpose was to come and die. It was a costly matter that he paid. Verse 10 clarifies that it's through his death. Through the death, by the death of his son. So, so Paul said, I want you to understand, it's costly. It brings joy in the life of the believer. But I also want you to see how it builds through this passage when Paul over and over again says, and much more, and even more. Better than this. And he builds on that as he walks his way through it. You know, formerly God sent the prophets. Uh, sometimes he sent angels uh, to speak his word and to, to speak to the people. And he made it clear to them in the, under the old covenant that he was, his, his word was truth. But he says, I want you to understand the prophets, the angels, they are no longer the highest form of God's communication. In these days, he has sent his son. That's what the Hebrews writer said in, in Hebrews 1. He said, you know, in, in former times, he spoke to us of the prophets in myriads of ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his own son, God incarnate, God in the flesh, who came with a very specific purpose. Now he sent his son, and he's giving his son. He's giving his son in our place. That's the point he's making here. It is a sacrificial gift. It is, a, it is an effective gift for the forgiveness of sin, but not just the forgiveness of sin, but the giving of his righteousness to we who have no righteousness. It's a glorious thing that Paul wants us to see. But what about the worthiness of the recipients? You know, he talks about, there in the first part of this passage, 
He said, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even die. Human beings can be quite generous to those they consider worthy of affection and respect. We human beings can be quite, quite good to one another. Somebody's good to us. You know, do unto me as you want me to do unto you is how we kind of view the, the golden rule rather than the turn it around the other way. You know, you be good to me, you do for what I want, and I'll, I'll be nice back to you, and I'll do to a limit what, what you need in your life. But Paul says, I want you to understand, God might would have sent his son to redeem good people. But then he goes on to say, that's not who he came to redeem. He uses some pretty strong terms there. His first descriptive term for who we are is that we are powerless there in in the first part of verse 6. For while we were still weak, helpless, or powerless, or without any strength at all to do anything for ourselves that is good to, to try to gain the favor of God, Paul says we were weak, meaning we were helpless to rescue ourselves. We live in a day where, where people want to say, well, I'm doing my very best. I'm, I'm trying my best to please God. I'm, I'm trying my best to do whatever it takes to be made right with God. And, and Paul says, I want you to understand something. You are helpless to do that. You can't do it. And that's why Christ came, because of your helplessness. It wasn't just that you had a hard time doing it. It wasn't just that you had to try harder to do it. Paul says, you cannot do it. But at just the right time, God sent his son for the weak. Second thing he talks about is he came for the ungodly. He says there at the end of chapter uh, verse 6, he says, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now think about that a minute because it goes back to, verse, to chapter 1 when Paul was laying out the condition of the human race. And he said, listen, the wrath of God is being poured out against what? All ungodliness and all unrighteousness. Paul said, I want you to understand something. God sent Christ to redeem those people who he was talking about, who I've been talking about in chapter 1. He didn't come looking for religious people. He didn't come looking for people who thought they were better than other people. He came looking for those who recognized that they were ungodly. They were without God. They were, they were lost in their condition. And at just the right time, weak and ungodly people, Christ came to redeem, to reconcile. Third, he calls them sinners. In, in verse 8, and that's a word that we don't like to use today. We don't like to think about sinners and sin and in many places, you can go and listen to sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon in church pulpits, and you'll never hear that terminology used. We make mistakes. We slip up. We have little peccadillos, you know, little things that are kind of problematic from time to time. But Paul says, no, I want you to understand, Christ didn't come to save you because you were a good person. He didn't come to save you because you were following the law of God to the T, because you didn't. He came to save sinners, those who had violated his perfect law, those who were living in a state of rebellion against him, those who were saying, listen, 
I know what I want, and this is what I want, and it's not necessarily what you want, God, but I'm going to follow what I want. I'm going to do what I want to do. Sinners in rebellion against God. And then the fourth epitaph he gives for these people that Christ came to save is, is found in verse 10, where he simply calls them enemies. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to Christ. We were reconciled to God through Christ. Now I realize that most people today don't think about themselves as enemies of God. Uh, I mean, there are some probably radical atheists who would say, I'll shake my fist in the face of God and I'll, I'll say what I want to say about him and I hate him. And it's funny, they hate somebody they say doesn't exist, but that's a whole other matter. But, but there are those who will say, you know, I want nothing to do with God. I, I, I don't mind being considered an enemy of God because I don't think God even exists. Paul is saying, don't you understand, when you were outside of Christ, you were an enemy to God, even if you didn't feel like one. Because your life was in conflict and in contrast to the life that he demanded. We sing that song, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. We have to recognize that it's exalting his holiness. We also have to recognize that the only way we will stand in his presence if we are holy. Without holiness, no one will see God. And we have to recognize that that holiness is absent when we are enemies of God. But when we are reconciled, we are given his righteousness, his holiness. It's imputed to us and we stand in his place, in, in his presence clothed in Christ's righteousness. We were powerless, helpless, weak. We were ungodly. We were sinners. We were enemies. And you would almost think, Paul would say, and and then one day, then one day you woke up to yourself. And you said, you know what? This is who I am. But I'm going to turn around and go the other way. I'm going to change. I'm going to, I'm going to become worthy of God's acceptance of me. I'm going to give up being ungodly. I'm going to give up being a sinner. I'm going to give up being in rebellion against him and being his enemy. I, I, I'm going to get some strength. I'm not going to be weak anymore. And, and, you know, I'm just going to make myself worthy of God receiving me. Paul says, don't you understand, that did not happen, that never could happen, that could not work out in any way at any time. God did for you what he did while you were in that condition. Completely. You didn't do anything to get out of the condition so that he would then say, okay, you're acceptable to me. He said, while you were weak, while you were ungodly, While you were a sinner, while you were his enemy, Christ died in your place. You know, the the whole context here contains references to God's wrath. Like in verse 9, he saved us from his wrath. This whole thing is in the context of wrath, which is God's holy hatred of sin. We looked at propitiation in chapter 3. For he is the propitiation of our sins. And what that word means, propitiation, is it is the appeasement or the turning away of God's wrath. In every person's life outside of Christ, 
The wrath of God resides and is going to be poured out in its entirety if one is outside of Christ in that final time. And, and Paul said, I want you to understand it, it, this holy hatred of sin that God has, but he brings about a reconciliation. He brings about a reconciliation. We, we understand reconciliation on the human level. You have a friend or you have a family member, and, and, and for some reason, maybe it's your fault, maybe it's their fault, maybe it's just uh, you can't determine whose fault it is. But there is a break in that relationship. There's a break in that fellowship. And, and one day, after maybe months, maybe years of being totally alienated from one another, there comes a point where you are reconciled. I remember when I was in the 11th grade, my best friend since I was about four years old, and I were, we, we went to school together, we carpooled together, or he rode with me, I drove. And one day after class, it was uh, getting ready for homecoming or something, uh, I told him, I said, you know, I really would like to go over to this young lady's house after school, and if you don't mind, I'd like for you to ride with somebody else. He became livid. We've been friends since we were tykes. We were, we were neighbors to one another on Fish Hatchery Road in East of Oga, Alabama. And, and he became incensed that, that I would ask him to just ride home with someone else and I would pick him up after I went and saw this young lady after school, which I thought was a legitimate request to make. When I went to pick him up at the house that he had ridden to, the first thing he did when I walked up to him just saying, hey, you ready to go, was he reared back and he slugged me. Literally. And I, I was just totally confused. I said, well, let's go. I'm going to take you home. He said, I'm not getting in your car. Not now. Not tomorrow. Not ever again. And I thought, wow. I mean, she was a sweet pretty girl but I, I wasn't you know I didn't, didn't think it was worth this but it did pro, to, make total it wasn't rather it was total uh, that would have been worth it. it it was total total separation total alienation in that relationship 11th grade 12th grade he transferred to another school lived a mile from the house. We saw each other all the time. We'd pass each other. I'd wave and he would just go down. Four years later, when we were working on a job, a summer job at the same place, different groups, different things, when we were there and, and he walked up to me and he looked at me and I looked at him. I was getting ready to dodge or duck and he said, this is really kind of foolish, isn't it? I said, yeah, yeah, it really is. And there, in a moment, we reconcile. Uh, he now is walking with the Lord in Birmingham, Alabama, and, and, and had a chance to talk to him. I don't, we don't keep up real close, but we talked a few, weeks, a few months ago when his brother died. And, 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 but I remember the feeling that took place four years later 
when there was a reconciliation between him and me. And we didn't become the fast friends that we were before, but there was no longer any enmity. There was no longer any hostility between us. And it was just like something washed over me, and I said, "Ah, that's good. Paul is saying that's what's happened. That's what happens when a person is made right with God. That's what happens when they're justified by faith in the grace of God, in Jesus Christ alone. That hostility that had been there, that maybe even wasn't, you didn't think it was your fault, it was, by the way, but, but it was there, and, and that all of a sudden, there's this washing over you, this, this sense of relief that takes place because now he has reconciled you to himself by the blood of his son. Now remember, what I always say are the two most important words in the New Testament. You find it in Ephesians, you find it in Colossians, you find it here in Romans. In verse 8, when Paul says, we were weak, we were ungodly, God might would have saved a good person, but there was no good people. They're all ungodly, they're all in rebellion, they're all born in sin. And then verse 8, but... God. In other words, you were helpless. You couldn't do anything. You couldn't make yourself right with God. But verse 8, but God. He shows his love to us, and while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Paul is saying, I want you to understand something. There is a, there is a, present tense and there's a future tense that takes place here and and that's where these fifth and sixth bold affirmations come in i haven't even gotten to those yet that's all introduction this will be short bold affirmation number five is that we will be saved from the wrath of god saved by jesus from the wrath of god propitiation will be a reality in the life of the believer, Paul says. He says, that's so important for you to understand. This is where your security comes from. This is where your understanding of what it means to walk with Christ comes from. He he gave us peace. He gave us grace. We stand in that. But now understand that we will be saved by Jesus from the wrath of God. I want to this point. Paul is concentrating on what he has done. Now in these last two firm affirmations, bold affirmations, he's talking about what he is going to do ultimately. And ultimately we who have been justified, we who have peace with God, we who stand in grace, we rejoice in the hope in our sufferings. We, we see the work of God through our sufferings in our life. All of those are past tense. But now he says, I want you to understand, not only is there the already, but there is the not yet. That's a tension that's always in the New Testament. You've already been made right with God. You've already been given the peace of God and made peace with God. But yet to come is your being saved through and from being saved from his very wrath in the last days when his wrath is poured out on all ungodliness and all unrighteousness 
He will save you from that. If you've been around Grace very long, you know that regularly I'll talk about the three aspects of salvation. There's the, there's the past tense in which we have been saved from the penalty of sin. There's the present tense which we are being saved from the power of sin daily. And there's the future tense which, which is we shall be saved ultimately and completely. And that's what Paul is talking about here when he talks about we shall be saved from his wrath. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we have been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. There's the negative and there's the positive. The first negative is his, we should be saved from the wrath of God. Wrath is negative. But secondly and positively, we will be saved through his life. See, he died on the cross... And he paid that price for our sin. He took our sin upon him and did that exchange to give us his righteousness. But Paul said, I want you to understand, it wasn't just the cross. It was also his resurrection. And it wasn't just that Jesus lived and then he died. It was that he lived and then he died. And then three days later, he lived again. He lived He died, he really died, he really was placed in a grave, but three days later he rose from the dead and he is alive forevermore. And it's in that resurrection power that God gives us that we live in him in this life and in the life to come. So what Paul is saying is, listen, the best is yet to be. The best is yet to come. That's why he says, much more, much more. Oh, so much more, more than that. I mean, all through this passage, he he wants us to see that, yeah, this is good, but let me tell you something better. And he builds on that and builds on that for the glory of God. And then finally, bold affirmation number six is we also, we rejoice in. God. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have and now received reconciliation. It's, It's clear from this paragraph that a major mark of a justified believer is joy. Again, Joy is different from happiness. Happiness is determined by the circumstances. Joy is determined in spite of the circumstances. I remember standing over my father's casket, coffin, and and my mother's too, for that matter, but I remember this specifically at my dad's in 2001. And I preached on the Philippians passage in his, I did his funeral message. I preached on rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And Talked about how Paul, it sounds like he's saying, rejoice in the Lord. And if you didn't hear me the first time, hear me the second time. Rejoice in the Lord. And I said to those people, I said, I want you to know something. I am very unhappy today. I really am. I am am not happy. My father has died. Man, I love dearly. Man who raised me. I'm not happy. Don't expect me to be happy. 
but I have joy. I have joy because I know that he died in Christ and now he is with the Lord Jesus Christ. I have joy because I know that even though I didn't want this to happen at, at, a, at a young age of 74, I, I wanted to be around a lot longer, that, that I realize that even though I'm not happy, I have the joy of knowing He's with Christ and God's in control of the circumstances. And God does things, as, as Paul says in verse 6, at the right time. Time doesn't catch God off guard. Time's not something that surprises him. As one theologian once said, have you ever thought about the fact that God never said, you know, I just thought about that. Have you ever thought about that God never said, I just thought about that. He, he knows the end from the beginning. He knows the he knows everything in the middle. And because of that, it ought to bring us joy. Paul says, I want you to know, in this passage, these affirmations ought to be your basis for security. It's, it's not been a mere repetition of things he's already said, although he has made repetition of some things. But he says, I want you to understand this. There's several things in his thesis that give us a surety and certainty and assurance in our faith. We can be assured of our salvation because God has made peace with us through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. But God, when you were helpless, when you couldn't do it, when you were a sinner, when you were ungodly, when you were in rebellion, when you were enemies, but God, because of His grace, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We can be assured because God has made peace with us, not the other way around. We can be assured of salvation because through the same work of Christ, we have been brought into a new relationship with God in which we continue to stand. In this grace in which we now stand. He's with you today, tomorrow, and forever. Through his grace, we can be sure and secure in our salvation, assured of our salvation, because of the sure and certain hope that we will see God. We'll see him face to face. We'll see his glory. We can be assured of our salvation because of the way we're able to react to sufferings in this life, different than the unbeliever. Paul said to the Thessalonians, he didn't say we don't grieve. We do grieve. But he says we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Because we have hope. We can be sure of our salvation because God sent Jesus Christ to die for us. Not when we were saved people. Not when we were good people. Not when we were changed people. But as we were. When we were God's sworn enemy. Paul says, listen, this is what the gospel offers. This is what the gospel brings. This is what the gospel says is true. Doesn't say it'll be a life without struggle. Doesn't say it'll be a life without hardships. But he does say it'll be a life that is at peace with God. A life that knows the grace of God. A 
a life in which we can now stand. Not in our own strength, but in the strength of the one who called us. Who saved us. In the strength of the one who is but God. When we couldn't do it, but God did. Let's pray together. I don't know where you are this morning spiritually. I don't know if you're in grace, standing in His grace because of the work of Christ in your life. I don't know if you're in need of that work. Only you and the Lord know that. But if you're here and not in Christ this morning, I invite you to Christ. I invite you to come to Him as you sense His Holy Spirit working in your life. Come to Christ. here this morning and your walk with him has grown cold I invite you to cry out to him and say Lord have mercy on me I know I belong to you but my love for you and my love for your church has just grown cold I didn't even get into that whole dimension I wanted to get into today I'll do that later How much does Christ love the church? He died for it. How much should we love the church? Certainly not just a place to go and sit. It's a place to give your life to. I encourage you to call out to him this morning. The one who saves one who sustains, and the one who gives joy. Father, speak to us this hour. By your word, the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. When that grace permeates our life, our chains fall off. Our bondage to sin is gone. We're going to sing that. Let's stand together. Let's sing.